we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come before you and, and look at your word. We ask you to bless this time as we study in your son's name. Amen. Amen. We're going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. The topic for today is who we are in Christ, uh, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And uh, so we are going to start at verse 19. Hold on, please. I'm there. All right, 1920. What, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. All right, so we want to look at this uh, indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And it says right here at the beginning, Know you not that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now we want to look at this, the idea of being the temple. Now both of you have come to the Wednesday night study, so you are beginning to understand a little bit about what this represents, I hope. Mm -hmm. Okay, now think about this. We, we talked about the temple, and specifically the tabernacle is, is a better, one, better term for this. And how many, how many coverings were over the, over the uh, tabernacle? Four. Four, all right. And what was the first one, the, the innermost one? The Holy of Holies. Well, in the Holy of Holies, of, of, the, the, of, the, of the four coverings. What was the, what was the four coverings? Out. No. The most inside one that you saw from the inside was, had the blue, the gold, the red, and the scarlet, and it represented what? Deity. It was deity, it was the man's original state. Okay, was seen from the innermost side. And what was the second covering over it? What's the first one? Blue? I mean, uh, it had the linen, the four colored, the multicolored linen. Oh, yeah, yeah. Representing our original state. Yeah, okay. One was. What color? The blue, purple, gold, and. Oh, well, first, scarlet. First and scarlet. Blue, blue is. Well, they were all mixed. The innermost, oh. it was all, it was mixed. And what was the second covering? What color was the second coloring? Blue. No. Purple. Black. Black. Because it represented sin. sin, the fall. And the next covering was colored what? What covers the sin? Black. Uh, scarlet. scarlet. <laughs> Very good, scarlet. Our original state, fallen state, sin. under the blood, and then the covering of Jesus, who is what we, who we are in Christ. That's red. And the last one was... They don't know what it was. They call it por porpoise or badger or whatever. But it was the covering representing right, Jesus. Right. The water, the the water, wa the protective covering, the one that kept it from getting water, waterlogged and all that. Our body is the temple, and we see every part of the temple being who we are, and inside, at the most core, underneath the underneath the blood of Jesus, underneath the covering of Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwells. Huh? Blue's blue is heaven. heaven. But again, don't worry about the blue gold. It's a hundred times, so all you got to do is go back and look at those notes. Yeah, yeah I know. 
but the temple, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, or tabernacle would be the better word here. And this is what Paul's thinking of when, and this is why I said when we were studying way back when we studied in the temple in, in the Exodus class was, where the tabernacle was, when Paul is talking about the temple, this is what he's re referring to. Okay, we are the temple. We are the temple that has fallen from grace, covered, you know, covered by sin, but then covered by the blood of Christ, and then covered by Christ himself. And therefore, the Holy Spirit dwells within us, just as he did in the Holy of Holies, that the Spirit would come down and fill the Holy of Holies with his glory and his, his presence. We have the Holy Spirit in us. Why? Because or fermented, which had the bubbles and, and had yeast in it, which represents liquor. sin, which yeah. makes liquor, of course. Uh, the Bible nowhere condemns alcohol, but it does condemn being drunk. All right. Go back to Noah, right? Huh? Go take, look, take Noah. Noah. Noah getting too drunk. Well, all the way back, yeah. I mean, there's condemnation of being drunk, but not condemnation for consuming alcohol. Now, most people, well, a lot of people, I mean, not most, cannot drink and stop before they get drunk. Some can do, you know, can take that glass or two and not have... And stop and not not be bothered by it at all. A nice shot of booze and that's it. Yeah, a, a one shot, you know, or, or, you know, one or two beers or one or two glasses of wine. But probably I would say the majority can't stop at just the small one or two drinks. Yeah, that's why they take uh, six, six of them. You know. drink all of them. So I have never had the desire to drink. My dad was an alcoholic, you know, until he got saved. Uh, I have tasted alcohol because most, like most alcoholics, he gave us sips of his drinks and stuff. So, I mean, I've had the, I've had the taste of alcohol. Uh, I don't particularly care for even the taste. So, I do I judge people who drink? No, because that's between them and everything is about between them and God. I'm very libertarian. Uh huh. I'm very libertarian. Well, they're going to stand and fall before God, not me. It's very liberal. It's their health. It's their health. It's their kind. Their 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 restrictions. There is medicinal 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 reasons to drink. There is There are studies that say there's some benefit to small amounts of drinks. Have a little glass of wine once in a while. It's good for you. And but the key to this is, as we know people, and we all know people who 
drink to excess. And some people are drinking on purpose to excess so that they can try to forget whatever it is they're trying to forget. Every day. Uh, and that is sad for them. And that is, that is condemned by the Bible. Drunkenness is condemned. So it's a really interesting place to be. Uh, Paul told Timothy to drink a little wine for his body because of his stomach ailments. Uh, and that was in a day, and that was in a day when water was not something you could drink anyway in, the, in their in their in their area because it made you sick usually. Uh, and so the medicinal use of alcohol, the alcohol would kill <laughs> kill some of the germs. Um, we in America don't have that excuse. <laughs> you know, we have good good water in America. We don't have to worry about getting sick from our water usually. Uh, so it is one of those questions of, I would recommend that people probably don't touch it because most people can't handle it. Uh, and then you get people who are functionally drunk that they're drunk all the time but don't show it. Uh, and that's another side of being drunk. So, but again, the Bible does not condemn alcohol or its use, it just condemns drunkenness. And that's not for us to condemn those who are drunk. We, we need to love them and encourage them and, got a weak brother, and, a weak brother. and try to keep them, you know, give them a desire to get into God's word and then let God can convict them of their sin. And this is where we have to be so careful, especially when we're dealing with people outside the church. Too many times as Christians, we try to get people to get good so they can come to God. And that's not what he's looking for. He wants them to come to him. On their own free will, right? Of their own free will, uh, convicted that they are a sinner. And then God can deal with the sin in their life. And so with an alcoholic, there's no way I'm going to attack their alcoholism because they're probably not recognizing that as a sin. They, they're going to call it a weakness or a sickness or whatever else. So we convince, we convince them of what we all know is sin, lying, stealing, cheating, you know, cheating, those kind of things. We get them saved and then let God get them through the word, you know, through the word to change the way they think about things. And this yeah. is why we want to work as Christians. You know, we're saved by grace, not by work. So our first goal as Christians is not to try to get people to be good enough to come to God. It is to get them to come to God and let him make them good. And so this is one of the things we want to keep in remembrance is when we're dealing with somebody who's lost or backslidden or, or maybe or maybe may or may not be a Christian, you know, based on, you know, based on what we see, we deal with them on get right with God and become saved and then get them into getting into God's word and let God convict, just like he does with all of us. Now, no matter where we are on the on the scope of looking good or looking bad, God is working on us to make He indwells us for just that reason. Because, and we've talked about this a lot, He indwells us, He crucifies our flesh, and then He comes out of us as He crucifies more of our flesh. Or as we let Him crucify more of our flesh. And more and more of him comes out. And just like this verse says, our body and our spirit are God's. Why? Because he purchased them. He purchased them. 
So in essence, I should, my spirit will let God come out fairly easy. My body has to be crucified. I have to give him my body as a living sacrifice, as it tells us in Romans 12. And he goes, he crucifies our body and more of him comes out. And it is just realizing that he owns us. He owns us lock, stock, and barrel because he bought us in just that kind of format. And we need to be ready to give up whatever it is he asks us to give up. And I've already said, sometimes he'll ask you to give up things that aren't necessarily sin, but they keep you away from time with him. That's an interesting figure of speech, lock, stock, and barrel, whatever that means. Lock, stock, and barrel. It refers to gate, the gates and, 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 oh, and everything oh. from the old days, the gates and, oh, yeah, and the everything you buy. So the stock doesn't run away. Yeah. And the barrel, keep the barrels locked up. Yeah. It just means that God owns everything. Yeah, lock the door after the yeah. horse has been stolen. Yeah. That's not good. So, but God says that we belong to him. The more we realize that we belong to him, the more likely we are to surrender to him completely. The, the disciples' favorite term to use was that they were bond servants. And does anybody remember? We've talked about bond servants. What's a bond there, servant? They were servants by free will. Their time had run yeah. out, and they could have been released, but right. they decided to stay. They chose to continue on as, as a servant. It was a voluntary slave, <laughs> voluntary servant. Uh, and the more we realize that God has purchased us, he, we are his. And he says, I want you to be voluntarily mine. One, uh, I told Amy already, I got a call. I mean, I come home from my doctor appointment, and something was calling me to go check the mail. It's hailing. I didn't know why I wanted to check the mail. But I had this urge, you know, anyway, I, I went and checked the mail, and then the hail really came down, and I'm, I'm sitting out, and I go check my mail, and here comes Kitty. Uh, Kitty. Is that your name, Kitty? Pulls in, and she's crippled, you know, and I help her in and help her get her bail and help her back to her car. And here comes Loretta. At the same time, it was per God's timing of me uh, urging me. I was listening to God to tell me to go to the post office. I had the, the draw or whatever. And so Loretta had a lot of packages, and I helped her with her packages so I didn't slip on the tail. And I, I loaded her, got her in the car, and here comes John Jr. after it's all done. And I told him, yep, thumbs up, everything's good. I got the lead. But they were they were dueling with their canes. Mm -hmm. uh, Kitty and Loretta, they were doing a cane fight. It was, <laughs> it was funny. It, that was like a TV show. That was funny. That made it, but I realized that was God. Yeah. Drew me to go check the mail for some in the middle of a hailstorm. That's good. That's very good. And God does that kind of stuff for us. Yep. That was listening. I was by myself. This guy was at a doctor appointment. I was by myself and I listened. Something came over me to do that. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, you know, it was beyond me. It was my Holy <laughs> Spirit to do that. And then there's the ladies. Yeah, and then you were able to help people because you listened. And that's, that's important for us to listen to God. And sometimes I'll be, you know, God will put somebody's on my mind and I'll just pray for them and find out later on that they needed the prayer or they were going that's through something. And, yeah, that's a good praise to do and, for people. Uh, and I gave some guy directions, you know, too, and he talked to Michelle for an hour. So, got, you know, anyway, it all works out for good. Yeah. Good timing. God's timing. All right, we're going to move into Galatians 3. Give you all a moment to get there. 
two books beyond where we were at. Here we are. What are we into? Galatians 3. That's what we're studying. Okay. That's Sunday mornings. Sunday mornings are in Galatians. Yep. So I got it. 3, verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? For whose eyes Jesus Christ hath, has been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only I learn of you, received, received you the Holy Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, that now you are made perfect in the flesh? This is the idea that the Holy Spirit dwelling in us is a gift. All right? And this is what he's, this is what he's saying, you know, especially let's look at verse 2. Received you the Holy Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. And so Paul's beginning to say, did you, did you earn the Holy Spirit or did, it get, did you get it by a free gift? You get it as a free gift. And we get it as a free gift. And, the, and we want to keep that in remembrance. Every one of us, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, gets the Holy Spirit indwelling within us so that we have the power to live according to the way God wants us to live because it's Him living through us from inside as our flesh is crucified. And Paul is going to hammer on this over and over again. Our flesh does not do anything good. It's not by works that we get anything from God. And we sometimes feel foolish sometimes when we look at somebody, well, look how good they are, you know, look how God's doing because they're so good. No, they're, if, if there's any goodness, it's because the God is working out through them and their flesh has been crucified. And we want to be so careful because I've heard it over and over throughout the years. I'm working hard to live like a Christian. And my answer has always been to them, quit working hard and let the Holy Spirit work through you. Let the Holy Spirit crucify your flesh and work through you, and then you will live like the Christian that you want to live like. I hope that made sense. Uh, you know, because I've heard it over and over. i got to work real hard. I'm working real hard at living a good life. Well, let God crucify your flesh and let the Spirit live, and then you'll live the good life that you wanted to live that you were striving to live with. And it's all coming down to forgetting who I am and letting God live through me or crucifying my flesh. And your, your, your person you were talking to me this morning about, you know, is the idea of don't live in your emotions. We crucify our emotions and we let God give us victory over emotions. We let God give us victory over hatred of other people. We get God give us victory over unforgiveness. Because we as humans, well, number one, we don't want to. You know, even if we say we want to, it becomes evident that we really don't want to forgive somebody when we don't forgive them. And we really can't forgive without God's forgiveness. We can't love without God's loving through us. I mean, we have a certain amount of love that is human nature for people that are nice to us, for family. Uh, and most people, when they say they love somebody, they love them because they're getting something back in return. I'm not just talking about physical. I'm talking about emotional. You know, I like this person because when I'm with them, they're nice to me. They, good things happen. We, you know, I feel good being in their presence. Uh, you know, the hard thing is loving like God loves and saying whether they love me or not, I'm going to choose to love them. 
you know, I can forgive people real easy who, forgi who are basically forgiving me. They, those are easy people to forgive. The hard ones to forgive are those who don't seem to want to forgive back. And they, and they hold on to things. And, and you just, then you're looking at it trying to say, man, this person's hard to, hard to love, hard to forgive. And those are the ones God says, love. And Jesus said that we are to love our enemies. That is not natural. You know, the flesh says, they, they've been mean to me. They're, they're nasty. They never forgive. They always say bad things. I'm not going to love them. And God says, love them anyway. Just as Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And I believe that he was talking more than just the, the Romans who actually killed him. I'm sure he was talking about all those guys hurling insults at him. And beyond that, to us. Because we were the reason that he was on the cross in the first place. Because of our sin put him there. So we want to look at this. Everything is a gift of God. Nothing is of works. I never, ever will earn anything from God because if I, if I can say I earned it, it's of the flesh and he's going to reject it. And we've talked over and over about this. Many Christians in churches will try to do this. They'll go, I am trying to earn something. You know, they may not even say it consciously, but in, in, their, in their action, I'm working for God so I can earn his favor. And as soon as they enter into that mentality, everything they do is worthless. Even if they do great things, it's still worthless because it is in the flesh. And God says, I'm not going to accept any man's flesh. We talked about that on Sunday, you know, that, or two Sundays ago. That Paul in Galatians here says that God will accept no man after the flesh. And so we want to be very careful. Everything is a gift. Anything he does for me is a gift. Anything I do spiritually for others is a, should be a gift. It's not supposed to be me. It's a gift from God. And anything that God does in anybody out there is a gift from God. It's not deserved. It, and we want to be careful. We don't want what we deserve from God. The last thing we want is what we deserve. Because all of us deserve hell. No matter how good we think we might be, we deserve hell. And we've got to keep that in mind because it is so easy to forget that that's what we deserve and to think, you know, I've been walking with God for, you know, however many years and somehow I deserve to have something good from God. And God's going to say, no, I don't care if you've been walking for 300 years with God, you don't deserve anything from him. And I mean literally walking with him and, and really perfecting your life. If we had 300 years, 1,000 years, we still would not be able to perfect our life to complete walking with God without his grace. And it's so important for us to get there where we understand that. And this is where Paul is going to the Galatians. And remember, why, why, is he, why are the Galatians having problems? Because the Judaizers came in and said, Paul's message was incomplete. You need to have, you need to follow these laws. <laughs> these laws to be able to please God. And Paul, after, you know, the first part is mostly his testimony, and then he gets into this section of the, of the book and starts saying, you know, well, you guys are foolish. Or we would say, you know, are you crazy? You forgot <laughs> how you started? You know, and Paul's trying to remind them, you know, did you get all the stuff that you got because of works or because I gave you the, you know, I gave you a message of grace and you accepted by God's grace and faith. 
And this is where we are. When we get God's spirit, it is a free gift. Life is a free gift. The, getting the Holy Spirit is a free gift. It is a wonderful gift that God even died for us because we were his enemies. And I've said it over and over. It is just amazing to me that, number one, that God would even create man knowing that we were going to fall. That to me is, is just mind-boggling. I can't even figure that, that part out. Why create something knowing that, knowing that it was going to reject you? And then knowing that the only way to bring us to him was to die on the cross for us. You know, none of this makes sense to us as humans. You know, none of us would have ever created us to begin with. You know, because the cost was going to be so high to redeem. Jesus took our sins upon him. And for the first time in all of eternity, the Son was separated from the Father and the Holy Spirit because he became sin. And that to me is just mind-boggling. That was the pain, that was the greatest pain. Jesus took physical pain, but the hardest pain that I'm sure he had to endure was the separation from the Father because he became sin. That is hard to picture, hard to think about something that it shows how much he loves us that he would do this and he had no reason to love us other than he chooses to love us and that choice of love was willing to take on the worst things that could possibly happen and it's just an amazing thing to me that he did that and it's all a gift and I know I'm harping on this but I want to make sure we understand it is a gift we never earn anything from God. And when we stand before him on the white, on the beam of seat of, of Christ because we're saved, it'll be what did we allow him to do through us that we get rewarded for? And, I, and that's just another thing that gets mind-boggling. Anything that I do is in the flesh and it will be burnt up, and anything I let him do, he gives me the reward for. I love God's plan. I don't earn anything, and what he does through me, I get the reward for. You know, that is not something we would do as humans either, is it? Mm. I did the work, I get, I get the reward. It doesn't, you know, is the way we would look at it. And God is so much there, says, you let me work through you, I'm going to let you be rewarded for eternity. Our eternal reward is what he did through us, and that is an amazing thing. Any comments before we move on? Ephesians, next book over. We're going to start at verse 20. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together grows unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also built together for an inhabitation of God through the Spirit. God is forming one tabernacle for eternity. One tabernacle, and it started with the prophets and the apostles, and that's the teachings that we have. And Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. Okay, and this cornerstone can either has two different thoughts on it. It's either the cornerstone at the base of the building or the capstone of the of an arch. Either way, it works. <laughs> okay, the cornerstone is the base of the building that holds everything together, or the capstone of the of the arch, which holds is makes everything hold together. So either way, is it, the picture is the same. 
And there's a question on which, which definition is the right one for, for in the Greek, but it doesn't matter. Uh, because I don't know how it works. Uh, it has to do with the mathematics and the engineering, but the capstone is fit in amongst these uh, you know, things that shouldn't be held together, and it fits in just right and puts the pressure, pressure correctly and holds everything together. And you take the capstone out of the arch, and the whole arch collapses. And, but we are a building built by God for an inhabitation of God. Now look this. Not just the Holy Spirit, but of God. God dwells in us as well as the Holy Spirit. And we want to be careful about this because so often we just think about the Holy Spirit. But we're told that the fullness of the Godhead bodily dwells within us. We have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit dwelling within us when we come to Christ. So we have the whole complete trinity within, our, within us when we get saved. And it's powerful. And again, the idea that if we let ourselves be crucified or let our flesh be crucified, we have all the power in the world that we need to live the way he wants us to live. The problem is we keep trying to let our flesh get resurrected and not stay crucified or not let him crucify all of our flesh. And What does that mean? What, all of our flesh? Yeah, not let him crucify all of our flesh. Well, we all, we all sit, sit back and we kind of map out parts of our life where we don't want him to be involved in. And that'll change over time. He'll take more, you know, take more and more. But all of us have some area in our life, at least, that we've said, okay, God, uh, I want to keep this one little area of sin in my life because I like it. And if all of us will admit it, there is some area in our life where we say, you know, we may not be quite that blunt, but it's like, okay, I'm going to kind of hide this somewhere, you know. I'm going to try to hide this someplace from God. Sometimes I think of it as, you know, the idea of the throne of our heart. Who's sitting on it is from an old picture of a, of a track. God wants to be on the throne of our heart. And sometimes we're kind of like, okay, God, I'm going to go into this other area where you're not part of. Go, go sit in the other room for a while while I do this. Well, you know, I kind of always think now that God is omnipresent. So I'm not hiding anything. I truly am not. The only thing I'm really doing... That could be some I tend to stand if I like to smoke. Cigarettes. Not mm -hmm. that dope. Yeah. Uh, the side effects of it is what I'm concerned about is your colon cancer or lung cancer. Right? That's mm -hmm. free will. Yeah, it's, it's free will. Yeah, but the side effects. And 200 degrees of smoke in your lungs, but that scares me enough to not to do that. Smoking. And smoking is going on. That's a good lesson. Smoking is another one of those things where the Bible doesn't have anything to say about it, and it's between the person and God. The key to this is. These are bad. They don't know the nicotine. The side effects of nicotine tablets. Yeah, she said not to overdo that either. Or nicotine, or the, the smokeless, smokeless cigarettes with the nicotine in them. So it's. Break them in half. <laughs> but all of this comes down to is what has God convicted you of doing? And I've said for many, many years, two people could be doing the same exact activity. One is sinning and one is not. Because for one, God has said, don't do this. 
And I'm not talking about killing and lying and those but type that, of that, things. That, yeah. that could be. That could be. Someone is taking the prescription because the doctor gave it to him, and the other person is taking the the same pill because they want to get low. because they want to get high or or whatever. So would that be kind of that? That could be. Two, it could very well be. At the same time. Now, in that case, you're breaking the law. You know, you'd be breaking the law taking it without a you know without a prescription or a reason. It, I think something like smoking is a good example. God, God could have told one person, you, you're, you're not, you've got to quit smoking. And if God has put it on their heart to quit smoking and, they, and they're smoking, then they're sinning. Well, then I'm, I'm off then because God hasn't put it upon my heart to quit smoking. My, my dentist has told me to quit smoking since I was a kid, since I started. Well, my teeth yeah. are terribly stained, but... And then another person could be smoking. And the reason I say this is because I've seen this happen where Christians will get on after somebody because they're smoking. And God has been working on their heart to get them away from something worse. You know, uh, they're smoking and everybody sees it, but uh, once a week they're going out and picking up a prostitute, and you know, which will probably kill them a whole lot faster than the smoking will. Okay, so we have to be very careful of being judgmental of others because God could be working on something that's a whole lot worse in their life that we don't see. And he could be working on different, you know, anger issues with somebody that's going to lead them to commit murder. And we get them so worried about the smoking that they really get angry because everybody's on them about smoking and drive them faster to what God's trying to keep them from. And, you know, that's kind of an extreme, but it is that kind of thing. You know, we, we're not their, their judge. God says that his children stand before him. And the only time, like I said, the only time I'm going to deal with something or is as a father if it's affecting my family or now as a pastor if it affects my church. If something somebody's doing is affecting the people in my church, then I'm going to stand up and do something about, about it. That's what Paul did when he, when he stood up against Peter, you know, because Peter pulled away from the Gentiles and, and you know, that we talked about Sunday where he pulled away from the Gentiles and, and all the other Jews followed followed him in his hypocrisy. And then Paul stood up and said, hey, you know, if, if the others had not followed him, we probably wouldn't have said a word to Peter at all because it didn't affect the church. It was between Peter and God to have been, been the hypocrite. But because of his hypocrisy, so many followed, Paul had to stand up and say, you know, Peter, you're, you're, you're wrong. Your hypocrisy is hurting the church. And we want to be careful. And this is why I've said I want everybody to come to our church. You know, I'm thinking about, you know, we have probably 90% of this town that don't come to church. I'd like to see the 90% come to church. <laughs> you know, it takes us inviting it. It takes us being an example of who Christ is, and it'll take all of the different people to invite. And eventually God will get hold of them. But we can only do what we can do. We do what God tells us you know, leads us to do. We share with people. We, we encourage them to come to church. We invite. We, we, we live a life that shows everybody that we are different. Why, how, why are we different? Because the Holy Spirit's living through us. And the power that comes through the Holy Spirit living through us is tremendous. It will change lives. People will look at us and say, you are different. And once they start recognizing that we're different, then they want to know why. But they want to make sure, first off, that we are different, that we have changed. And that might take a little bit of time. 
Because what ends up happening, they're always waiting for us to fall back. You know, when somebody gives up drinking or drugs, most of the time they fall back into it. You know, on a rare occasion they get they get away from it and stay away. But how many times have we seen they come up, you know, they, they call it falling off the wagon, you know. They get on the wagon and they fall off the wagon. And it does happen so often that people start getting to the place of, well, I'm just waiting for them to fall back again. I'm waiting for them to become what I know they are because they don't recognize the power of God to change us. And because we know that we're in God, he'll change us and we'll be able to be victorious. And people looking at us will say, wow, you're really different. And then once they start making those comments, you know, then we can go, well, why don't you come, don't start coming to church and see why I'm different? Or we might even be more bold and say, hey, you know, this because God has made me changed. You know, do you know God in this way? You know, we, need to, we need to be out there. You know, the goal isn't always to invite people to church. The goal is to tell people about Jesus. Then once they accept Jesus, then we encourage them to go to a church. Now here on Chloride, the, the obvious choice of picking should be this church, seems how it's the only church in town. But if they want to drive to Dolan or Golden, Golden Valley or Kingman, that's up to them and God. It doesn't bother me. I witnessed to a lady yesterday, she didn't even know Chloride had a church. Here in town? Yeah. Oh. So I told her, yeah, it's over on, across from the town hall. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. It's kind of like a, <laughs> she forgot, you know, it's just like block your mind. And there is that block on people's minds and that's why we need to do a better job getting the idea that we're here and that we're we're there and a lot of it is us sharing with people and talking to people about it but our goal is always not to build Chloride Baptist Church up our goal is to build the kingdom of Christ up and lift him up and get people to come to him then, of course, once they get saved, we encourage them to come to church. And, you know, our church is the most convenient and would be the logical choice. But if they really don't want to come here, they, you know, we encourage them to go anywhere that God is leading them to go. And we just want to be able to lift him up. And so this is the important thing for us. And I want to, you know, I'm, this is something I want to start trying to push a lot more. When people are asking what's different about us, we tell them about Jesus. We tell them about Jesus. What has Jesus done in my life? He has changed my life. He's made, this is what difference he's had made. Do you know, do you want to know this kind of a Jesus? Do you want to know Jesus that can change your life? That is where we start with. You would give a, that is our testimony. The testimony we have, if we give them from our experience, what God has done for me, then God is able to start reaching them. And then we explain to them how they can get to know that God. Recognize you're a sinner, except that Jesus paid for your sins and that, you know, that he wants to come into your life. And all you've got to do is ask, ask for that gift or receive that gift and get them into Christ. Very simple to get saved and then, then encourage them once they, you know, if, and then in, follow it up with, do you, want, do you want to ask him into your heart? Very simple. The gospel, you know, takes only about 30 seconds to a minute to deliver. <laughs> uh, it's not hard. And it's, we get people saved, and then we move them on. You know, when we've got the different things. We've got the recovery, you know, the celebrate recovery for those who need it. We've got the Bible studies. We've got the church service. We've got plenty of opportunities to get people to come and, and practice the Word of God. And we want to be so careful because it is not works. It is not legalism. It's not the laws that get them saved. And it's not any of that that will keep them saved. They've got to go forward because it's a gift. 
and let God do the work. All right, we're going to go to Romans now. Four books the other direction. <laughs> Five books the other direction. Romans what? Romans 8. That's the right verse. Let me take another look here. Yeah, it is. Oh, yeah, 8, eight verse 9. I knew that. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, then be that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of God, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit of life because of righteousness. All right, so this is, we're no longer in the flesh. Unfortunately, we often live like we're in the flesh, and we keep trying to go back to the flesh, but if we are a new creation in Christ, the flesh is dead. Romans 12 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that transformed in Greek literally is the word that we get metamorphosis out of. We are changed completely to a new creation through the renewing of our mind. And this is important, and, we, and I talk about this all the time. What worldview are you going to hold? Are you going to hold God's worldview or the, the satanic worldview? The, there's only two. There's only two. Now, Satan has all kinds of different lies and... and and, and ways of looking at things, and he doesn't care which of the ways that you choose as long as it's not God's. <laughs> okay, and that's why for every truth of God, there are multitudes of lies in the world about how to get to heaven. Now, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Satan comes around, do good works, you'll be okay. Follow reincarnation, you'll get there. Uh, you know, uh, just don't believe in any God. There's no, there's no future. I mean, he doesn't care which of, the, which of the views you believe, as long as you don't believe that Jesus is the only way. Okay? And Satan continues to do this with everything. Jesus says, God says, you, you know, you won't commit fornication, adultery, homosexuality, bestiality, uh, incest, uh, pedophilia, you know, don't commit any of these. And Satan comes along and says, they're all okay. They're all okay. And that's exactly what our world is telling us nowadays. And it's been said right from the very beginning, the more we accept homosexuality, the other sins will follow on, on its heels. And we're already seeing an uprise and I saw a suit the other day that somebody's suing to be able to marry their dog, I think it was. You know, because if, if homosexuality is okay, this is, this is the family I've chosen. That's their, that's their logic. Okay? And pedophilia is, is starting to become, come a, come, become a big problem out there. Polygamy is becoming a bigger problem out there because now we have two different religions pushing it, Mormonism and and the mo Muslim world pushing pushing for poly extreme, polygamy. Extreme, marry yourself. Uh, <laughs> actually, I've heard somebody say that. Somebody yeah. did in New York try that. Yeah, they tried to marry themselves. So we see as 
we leave God's standards, everything goes. Canaan, in its day when Jesus, when, when the Israelites were told to kill all the people, were a totally unrestrained people. There were no rules, no, no, no words for incest or polygamy or, or homosexuality and all these things because anything went and anything was okay. And that's how far down that they had gone. The Roman Empire, when, when it came to its end, homosexuality was rampant. Pedophilia was rampant. Bestiality was rampant. And God judged them and took them out. It is a truth that when you start sliding, you don't, you don't stay still. If you're not following God and going forward, you will be going backwards. Even we as Christians will go backwards if we're not going forward with God. We will slip back and allow more and more of the world's thinking to come into our mind. And the world who's already there <laughs> slides real fast. And, you know, they call it the slippery slope. You let one thing in, and the next thing you know, everything is, is fair game. Or the idea, give an inch and they'll take a mile. And that's a true statement. It, you know, you, if you give just the slightest bit, people will take more and more. And this is the way it is with us is in our flesh. If we let the flesh give room for anything of the flesh that God says get rid of, it'll get worse. It, it gives Satan a beachhead, a way to come in and say, this is an area where I'm holding. And I talk about it a lot. There's, there's always areas, and the Christians have this tendency to put on different hats. This is my, this is my church hat. I'm, I'm going to church, and this is how I behave when I go to church. And this is how I behave when I'm watching sports or going to work or dealing with my family. But God isn't part of that. And for years, there was this idea that the secular is the is the secular and the, and the spiritual is the spiritual. And God's saying, no, I want to be the spiritual over everything you do. And he wants to be part of us 24-7, 365 a year. He doesn't even want to give us a day off or an hour off. He says, I want to be in control of every aspect of your life. Think the way I think. Act the way I want you to act. This is part of what's called discipleship. Jesus spent all of his time with 12 men teaching them what to do in every aspect of what they were to do. And basically he's saying, apply God's word. Apply the word to everything. We, uh, my counseling was, um, I gave him advice, it was the mask. You said the hat. But my son and I have this thing called a mask. You put on a different, everybody puts on a different mask at work or, you know. Mm -hmm. But the hat, I've never heard that one. That one's good. That's you know, good. hats usually represent, you know, work, workplaces usually have a hat that's associated yeah, with I them. Got, so it's, yeah, you know, the guy had nine jobs. Mm -hmm. He had nine different hats, you know. He had yeah. a different hat. And what happened to that guy? Oh, he died of a heart attack. Yeah. Because he had nine jobs. But God is sitting there saying, I want to be over every part of your life because that is who he is. He wants to change us to a godly world vision. And it is important for us to get there. And how do we do it? By the renewing of our mind through the word. We get into his word. We spend time with him. We spend time with the spirit. And the spirit leads and guides and takes what we feed him and, and magnifies it and starts tying it all together. And it's amazing, the more you read God's word, the more it ties together. And I've shared with you, I have a hard time just reading through sections of the scripture anymore because 
every time I read something, it's like, oh yeah, that ties into this, and I go to do some research. I'm I'm planning on just reading through it, but I'm already I'm going to all the other places. And then sometimes it's like God says, okay, you read something and it's never meant anything to you before, and it jumps off the page because it starts tying in with other things that you that you read. God builds up His way of thinking on us, just brick upon brick. It's just like watching a brick wall go up. Here's a line of bricks, here's a line of bricks, here's a line of bricks, and it keeps rising up, and before you know it, you've got a six, eight-foot you know, wall because it was one brick at a time laid on top of another brick. God does that with our thinking. He will keep building up our thinking to add to him and start tying together, and all of a sudden, the, the little one line of bricks joins up with another line, and, and we now have a squared-off protected area because it's one truth on top of another truth on top of another truth and then we start looking at our life and saying wow I don't think the same way anymore you know I make the comments when I'm watching TV shows that I used to watch and think were okay and they're not bad bad shows but I look at them now and I'm saying how could I have ever watched that show and not seen all the attacks on God that are in that show you know and it's very important for us to get to that point, and, we're, and we'll get to that point. And it's not to be critical of others that aren't there. We want to be very careful that as we grow, we don't get critical of other people who aren't in the same place. And the older and longer we've walked with God, the, the easier it is to get critical of people. You know, it took me 43 years to get this way. I've got to be very careful not to say, why aren't you here yet? Because it took me 43 years to get there. Why do I expect them to get there in a year or two? You know, for all of us, it's that same way. And the fact that God works in different areas. And there's some areas where I've got a real high, and some areas where I still don't even recognize that I have a problem in yet. And a couple of years from now, God will say, hey, pay attention to this area as well. You know, I've been to practice something you talked this morning. Huh? I'm going to practice something you said earlier in our class. Uh, if it doesn't affect me, and that's an important aspect. If it's not something... I take the libertarian view. If it's not harming me, then do what you want. Well, because they're answerable to God. Not and, me. And this is why Christians used to be, by the old definition of tolerance, we used to be the most tolerant people in the world. You know, you can do what you want because the one you're going to answer to is God. As long as it doesn't affect me, I don't... <laughs> You know, Christian, Christian, Christians used to be very tolerant and what would be considered libertarian. You know, you know, it's wrong, but, you know, just between you and God. By the new definition of tolerance, Christians are very intolerant because we won't give them equal weight to what they believe. I'm not going to say the homosexual lifestyle is just as valid as, as what I believe because God says it's a sin. And I'm going to say that it's a sin, and that makes me very intolerant by their definition. The fact that I say you can go do what you want because you're answerable to God, it's wrong, but you're answerable to God, is no longer considered tolerance. You have to be careful because I did a study called Personal Peace and Affluence. Personal peace means you don't care what's happened with anybody around you. And affluence means things, you know, what I have, uh, that's greed. But the thing is, if, if, like you said, not to care about anything or anyone around you, like the neighbor across the street or these martyrisms going on, I would defend myself. I would not just lay down and chop my head off. I would defend myself. That's the problem. I, I can't, I mean, I'm very, I love God. I love to, I'll be there someday with him, but I'm sure as heck I'm going to give it my life 
right now. Uh, that's that's a big martyrism, and the Pope even you know, yeah, these martyrs did such great things to, to fold their hands and let them chop your head off. I'd have a Molotov cocktail lighting in the bag or having a hand grenade or something to throw these guys. You know what I mean? Well, it depends. You, you're, not you're, not in, you're not in that. You're not at that place having to do it yet. I'm not so in that point where they have a gun to our heads to do that. I mean, these guys. Are, yeah. Or to uh, Jesus or in his uh, disciples just to lay down their lives for the, for God, which is as an honor. Yeah. It's an honor like being in the Marines and dying for the country. It, it, it's a, uh, but the point, though, is not to go to the place where you don't care what they do, but it's not that you're going to be worried about what they're I'm doing. I'm not going to be worried about it is what I'm yeah. saying. Don't lose sleep over you get You get the opportunity to, you know, to share with them and have an open conversation that is valid. You can tell them that it's wrong or sin. But, I mean, ultimately, to argue with somebody in a place where they're staunch is not going to work. To, to go up to an evolutionist and try to te- you know, convince them of creation is not where you start. I want to I get them saved before I can even worry about trying to get creationism into their, into their brain. Uh, can I sit there and argue with them all day long about the facts of it and maybe even win? Possibly, but what good is it? Because they, all they need is some other you know, person when I'm not there to give them a good strong argument for it and they'll be back in the other camp again. We've got to get them saved and experience with God and then God can change the way they think. And that's the same thing with anybody in any sinful lifestyle. Like we said, if they're a drunk, I'm not going to sit there and batter them over the head because they're drunk. I want to get them to accept that there are sins in their life that they are guilty of and not not even consider drunkenness because they either know it's drunk that it's sin or they don't care because they're going to do it anyway. But so we get them on the fact that they lie or, or cheat on their wife or whatever, or whatever else is out there for a sin in their life. Let them know that that deserves hell. Get them saved and then let God change them from the inside. You know, and then same thing with homosexuality sexuals or people committing fornication or adultery you know my goal isn't to make them good people and get them saved my goal is to get them saved and then God can make them a good person and that needs to be our be our goal in everything that we do let's uh, give us a conscience conscience give us a conscience of, of doing something that I used to normally not have conscience of. and God will do that and God will eventually give us that and like I said, sometimes it's even on things that aren't sin. He's just saying, I want you to spend more time with me than you do in anything that it might be that you do. Uh, for many in America, it might be that he wants to spend more time with him than watching TV. Uh, you know, because TV is bad for our worldview, plus it is just a big waste of time. Uh, I haven't turned my TV on all week. <laughs> I can't go quite that far, but... Uh, I've shut it down. I've shut it down. I don't watch it much. Yeah. up in the middle of the night. We watched the movies once, and we don't <laughs> I got piles of movies, but I don't want to watch them again. It's just, I got to get some fresh movies, or, or I just leave it shut off, and we read and do the Bible. And, and yeah, good. So you better. All right. Lord, we just ask you to bless this time and go with us as we leave today and help us as we go forward. And we just thank you in your son's name. Amen.